The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to return this evening to the study of the Gospel of John. We'd like to pick up here in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and even though some of these accounts seem to be uh, long and drawn out, quite a few of them are actually pretty rapid. So uh, in John chapter 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000 men, and then that evening is when Jesus walked on the water. And then, now we're going to arrive... Here, beginning in John chapter 6 and verse 22, which is the day following. So it's the very next day after the feeding of the 5,000 men. And the next day after, in the middle of that night, Jesus Christ walking on the water. Now, if you remember right after, <clears throat> right after uh, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus separated himself from the multitude, verse 15, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So the, the Jews and the disciples were not excluded from this. The Jews were always seeking that overthrow of the Roman government and the supposed revival back to the, the glory days of Jerusalem and Judah. And they uh, saw the miracles that Jesus performed. And as, as God's people are so prone to do, they misinterpreted that uh, and wanted to make him a king by force. So Jesus removes himself from that situation, removes himself from that uh, great multitude that wanted to uh, elevate him in a, in a political sense. Okay, <clears throat> John chapter 6 and in verse 22, the day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one wherein two his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. We'll skip the parenthetical statement of verse 23. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they came and took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for that meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said, therefore, unto him, What signs showest thou then that we may see and believe? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the, in the desert, as it is written. 
He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he believeth on me. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. We'll leave off there, there this evening. So Jesus says here <clears throat> that these people are seeking him not because of the miracles that he performed, but he tells them expressly that you are seeking me because you ate of the loaves and were filled. They were following Jesus, not necessarily out of a, a zealous understanding of who he was as the Son of God with a desire to conform themselves more to his image. Uh, I do want, before we... I don't want to get too far ahead, but, but uh, there's a, a long conversation here uh, throughout the course of John chapter 6. <clears throat> and Jesus, after this portion, introduces some very, uh, what they call hard sayings. And really what he's describing is the sovereignty of God in salvation and sovereignty of God in, in regeneration. And really, uh, hopefully, we'll line this out in, in future messages, but essentially, Jesus Christ preaches the doctrines of grace to these people. And uh, they were not really interested in hearing the sovereignty of God and the doctrines of grace. Instead, they were following him for what they could get out of it. But, in fast-forwarding a little bit, uh, all the way to verse 60 in the aftermath of that, it describes some people as disciples. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, the teaching of uh, God's sovereignty and salvation, but also this very uh, odd statement of, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, then you have no part with me. And uh, that made them a little, made them a little nervous. Uh, so these hard sayings that they received and in the aftermath of that, they're introduced as disciples in verse 60, and then they're, they're addressed as disciples again in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now, some people would take that and show that as an evidence that these people were false professors and they were never saved to start with. But I'm very content to trust the language of the Holy Spirit here in this text, okay? The Holy Spirit calls them disciples twice, calls them disciples twice. Now, is it possible, is it ever possible for children of God, for disciples of Christ to maybe be following God with the wrong motivations, with the wrong intentions, with... Uh, a more of a transactional relationship with the Lord. I want to follow him, not simply because he is thou art worthy of glory, honor, and prayer. Instead, I want to follow God for what I can get out of it at the moment. <clears throat> and uh, unfortunately, uh, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, 
I think that we see that very prevalently in Christianity today. People are following in the vein of Christianity, following in the giving the pretense of being a Christian. And, and you know, uh, I think many of them are children of God. I have no reason to, to think that they're not. But they are definitely not content to follow Jesus just as he addresses here that I am the bread of life. And at the end of the day, you don't follow me because of what you get out of it. You follow me to partake of me. Yeah. Okay, that's the point. You partake of me. I am the bread of life. Okay? So these people flake out, at least here in this aspect of their discipleship. Later on in this chapter, they leave. Why? Because at least at this point in their discipleship, they were not interested in the what they perceived to be hard sayings right. of God's sovereignty and salvation, but also just the plain teaching of Christ that he, he called them on the carpet for their wrong motivations. Uh, and if they showed up just wanting to have full bellies and showed up with itching ears and wanting somebody to scratch their itch, <laughs> Jesus Christ did not meet what they were looking for, right? Uh, so very similar to the rich young ruler. At that point in his life of discipleship, rich young ruler, a child of God, God loved him. But at that point in his discipleship, he wasn't willing to sacrifice. Jesus addressed some hard sayings with him too, right? And he wasn't willing at that point in his discipleship to make that sacrifice. And he, he went away. And he went away sorrowful. Okay? So some of these people here that are addressed later on as disciples. I want to make sure we, we, miss, we, uh, we don't miss that point. That uh, I don't think we should ever approach any portion of Scripture with going out of our way to try to make people false professors. Right. Okay? Right. Uh, and and we'll, we'll save this for a later message. And uh, much of... Uh, the interpretation of these verses is through a, a horrible misapplication, misrightly dividing, and just simply misinterpretation of Matthew chapter 7 that it has nothing to do with false professors. It has to do with wolves in sheep's clothing and warning disciples about those wolves in sheep's clothing. But these are not, at least in my opinion, I don't, I don't think we have any reason to approach this by believing that these are false professors. Instead, they are simply carnal Christians. Yeah. If you'll let me use that, that to use the Corinthian term. That, that's what the Apostle Paul called the, uh, the, some of the church there in Corinth. Ye are yet carnal. Yeah. The carnal Christians. And at least in this point in their, their the infancy and their immaturity in following Christ. And by the way, talking about immaturity in following Christ, everyone was pretty immature at this point in following Jesus Christ. But people develop some really incorrect perspectives of God, of Jesus Christ, and they develop some very bad motivations and perspectives when they are in that infant period. Yeah. And they're learning, right? They're, they're learning as they go. And inevitably, God's people uh, make mistakes in um, their motivations for following Jesus Christ. So <clears throat> Jesus tells them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me 
Uh, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. He says, labor not for that meat which perisheth. <clears throat> so don't put forth all this effort just so you can get another free meal. Because that's going to be gone in four to five hours, right? Your body's going to take all those nutrients and you're going to need something else. Labor not for that meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. And when he's saying meat there, he's not necessarily talking about uh, actual meat and venison. He's, he's talking about loaves. He's talking about food. Okay? So labor for that food that endures <clears throat> unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. Again, I, I, don't, I don't think we have any basis to, uh, to presume that these are false professors when Jesus Christ says, he's going to give this unto you. He's going to give this meat that endures unto everlasting life to you. He's talking to disciples, right? <clears throat> and then they said in response to this, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Now, remember he said there in verse 27 that you need to be laboring. You need to be laboring. You need to be working for something. You need to be laboring and working. And they had a, the right response to that. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? We don't want to work the works of the world or the flesh. What can we do to work the works of God? <clears throat> and Jesus comes back to the central theme of the entire Gospel of John, which is believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Now, I believe that this verse clearly expresses that belief is a work. Amen. Okay? Belief is a work. And anyone that tries to uh, jump hurdles <laughs> to say belief is not a work... Maybe belief comes a lot easier to you than it does to me. <laughs> uh, belief is not just work and labor. It's hard work. <laughs> Trusting God and believing God in spite of all of the challenges in this world is not just work. It is hard work. Now, at the same time, we also don't, don't want to discount the wording here. And we don't want to discount the fact that any time that we see belief exhibited, that did not just come by you deciding to believe right. in and of yourself. No, it is absolutely the work of God. Amen. It is the work of God. But God's working in you to do that, but it's up to us to make the conscious decision to work out that belief. Amen. You know, some people would say that this is the work of God and belief is not a work. So what are you saved by, right? Uh, what, what are we saved to heaven by? And many people would say you were saved to heaven either by faith or by belief. And then my rebuttal to that would always be, well, now we're right back to salvation by works, right? If there's something that you have to do to merit eternal life, you, you begin, a, you know, okay, you, be, you believe in Jesus Christ and you're supposedly saved to heaven now. We'll, we'll ignore the sinner's prayer for now because uh, I think that one is so obvious. I think y'all know well enough that sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. But, but let, let's, let's not view it as 
beginning the sinner's prayer, you, you are in a state of, of being unregenerate. You choose to believe, and now supposedly you're regenerated. What are you regenerated by? Thank you. By belief, right? By something you did. Right? And many people would say, oh, no, 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 no. But no, you're not saved by work because faith and belief is not a work because it is the work of God. Now, it is the work of God. No doubt about that. Faith and belief is the work of God. But to view faith and belief as so perfectly executed as the work of God that there's no possibility that it could ever fail, that, that denies experience. It denies all of Scripture, really. I mean, think about all these examples. People would say that, and absolutely, faith is the work of God. It's the gift of God. Active faith is the work of God. But boy, there's a lot of times, we just talked about that during our last message here in the Gospel, uh, Gospel of John. There were times that the disciples had little faith. There were times they had no faith. We find some people in the New Testament that had their faith overthrown, that their faith was shipwrecked. People that uh, were weak in the faith. Now, if, if God, if the work of God is, is he is empowering that belief and faith, tell me how you're ever going to have no faith and little faith if he's the engine that is guiding the, the perfection of your faith and belief. Right? Right? No. God is absolutely doing his work to lead you and guide you to believe in active faith. But boy, we can quench the spirit many times, right? right? We can quench the spirit. So, yes, it is belief is absolutely the work of God. But to say that it's such a work of God that it's no work in and of your yourself. That denies scripture and it denies experience, right? I mean, I, I don't know what fairy discipleship world these people were living in that, that supposedly for them, belief is not a work. By the way, it's just, what's, what's a work? This is not hard, guys. What's a work? It's something you do. It's something you do, right? God just doesn't believe for you. <laughs> No, we have to choose to trust God on it. We have the just shall live by faith yes. every single day. We have to make a conscious decision to mortify unbelief and to walk in belief and in faith. Amen. Okay, so based on my interpretation of this verse, I, I believe if everyone, whenever we have those kind of discussions with people, this is exactly where I go. And I say that belief is a work. So belief is a work. Why is belief a work? Because Jesus said belief is a work. Amen. Yeah, these people were not approaching this. Notice this. They were not asking this question saying, God, what can, what can we passively stand by and let God puppeteer us in doing? Ah, thank you. What was their question? What shall we do that we might work the works of God? They had enough sense to know that whatever that he said right here was a work, right? It wasn't just a, a passive uh, thing where God is just moving in and through you and puppeteering you to believe. No, they asked it 
looking for an answer that we know you told us we have to labor. You told us that we have to work. What work do we need to do? And Jesus says the work you need to do is believe. That's the work. Amen. So belief is a work. Okay? So when we interact with people that have different beliefs than we do and say that, yes, you're saved by grace, but you have to believe to be saved, we're right back to grace and works. Yeah. Right? And if you have to do one thing to be saved, you're saved by works. You're, you're not saved by grace. You're saved by what? You're saved by belief. And if you want to repackage it as faith, same thing. Now, faith is the avenue through which we experience the abundant life and, and we live by faith on a daily basis. But if you equate faith to belief and the means of regeneration, what are you saved by? You're not saved by Jesus Christ. You're saved by your faith, That's right. which is essentially belief, okay? So what are we saved by? By grace alone, right? Amen. Not by any work, and that work includes belief, okay? Jesus Christ affirmed that belief is a work, the work of God, okay? And they said unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe? Excuse me, what dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So, and even one adulterous generation seeks after a sign, right? And he gave them plenty of them. And then finally he said, listen, uh, if you won't believe that a man was resurrected from the dead, you won't believe anything. Right. And that was the final sign that was given, right? And that's the, that's the sign that we examine. Now, now, there's a lot of miracles. There's a lot of signs in the Gospel of, of John. Uh, we've, we've told you before that the Gospel of John really centers on these Miracles that display God's, Jesus Christ's sovereignty over all these various areas of life. But the only miracle that we have to examine is not the healings of the blind men and uh, the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the wall, all these other miracles. The only, the only miracle we have to examine is Jesus Christ being resurrected from the dead. Right? That's all we need. And that proved everything that he attested to be, which was the Son of God, and to be equal with God. <clears throat> so, <laughs> they were impressed. These Jews knew the Old Testament well enough to know that God provided bread in the middle of the wilderness. And that's what Jesus just did yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. He provided bread in the middle of the wilderness. But, it seems from the way that Jesus kind of rebukes this that most of the time when they talked about that, uh, it seems like they attributed that maybe more to Moses than to God. Verse 32, Verily, verily, I say, <clears throat> verily, verily I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. Listen, Moses may have been the person who made the announcement. He may have been the person who encouraged you, but Moses did not give you that bread from heaven. Where's that bread from heaven come from? My Father giveth you the true bread from heaven, and the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, which giveth life unto the world. It, Jesus is talking about himself, okay? You know, when we pray, <clears throat> told to pray in the model prayer, give us this day our daily bread. What we're asking the Lord for is, Lord, give us manna. Manna 
was there on the ground every single morning except the Sabbath day. They got double on the sixth day, right? <laughs> the, the manna was there on the ground every single day. And it was just enough for what they needed that day. Mm-hmm. And if they tried to uh, be hoarders and get enough for a whole week, what happened? It would spoil, right? So when we follow the pattern of the model prayer and, and in the mornings we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We're saying, Lord, give us the manna that we need today. Amen. Okay. Now, in the same way, we don't have the ability to just have this storehouse of manna that's going to last us for a week or a month or a year. God gives us grace for today. Gives us grace sufficient for today. Daily bread for what we stand in need of. But what, what's really being depicted there is, yes, he's giving them this miraculous food from heaven, comes down from heaven, and it provides for their daily needs. And he said, listen, if you were just viewing that in a natural, which, by the way, if God obviously had that manna in a perfect nutritional balance for these people, for that to be essentially all they ate and them to not all have potassium deficiencies or, you know, whatever, whatever, right? But the point of that is not the natural, physical food that was provided. He's saying, listen, I am the one that sustains you every single day. Amen. Jesus Christ is the one who sustains you every single day. So Moses did not provide you that bread from heaven. No, God provided you that bread from heaven. And who was that bread from heaven? Yes, they ate a physical food that took care of a lot of nutritional things that they needed to, to work and do all the responsibilities that day. But the, the real lesson there is that God gave them the bread from heaven, which is what they needed, Jesus Christ, every day, right? So God gave you that bread from heaven. For the bread of God, this is verse 33, see, which cometh down from heaven, which giveth life unto the world. Giveth life unto all of his people out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. Now, um, these people just just had... (laughs) Kind of like the wine that, that Jesus uh, turned, turned from water into wine. Uh, that was the best wine that they've ever tasted, right? Do you know this was the absolute best bread and fishes that they've ever tasted, Amen. right? <laughs> so they, they still had quite the appetite for the very best meal they've no doubt ever had, right? And then he's telling them that... I'm going to provide this bread from you from heaven. And then they say, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Uh, by the way, this, the, the dialogue here uh, reads very similar to Jesus' interaction. Uh, this is focusing on bread. Uh, and Jesus Christ is the bread of life. But very similar interaction uh, to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4 where he's not talking about bread there, but he's talking about living water, Right? And who's the living water? Who's the bread of life? Jesus is both of those, right? So they're enticed by this. And they say, again, very similar to uh, Jesus tells the the Samaritan woman something very similar to this. And and she says, 
give me that water, right? That sounds great. Give me that water. And they say, Lord, evermore give us this bread. This bread sounds great. And he essentially says, I am that bread, right? Verse 35, one of the, one of the central I am statements in the gospel of John. I am the bread of life. And he that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So how do we take partake of that bread of life? He goes on a little bit later. Uh, let's, let's skip to uh, uh, verse 48. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. And this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If a man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, is this an invitation for anyone that's, that's interested to come and partake of, of him to gain eternal life, right? Well, no. Uh, what we skipped over was verse 44. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him, right? The only people who have a desire for the bread of Jesus and the living water of Jesus Christ are those who have a spiritual nature inside of them that have Christ in them, the hope of glory. And that's the reason they have a desire for that. Not just a desire, but even a spiritual capacity for that. Uh, and then he gives those, right after that, he gives the, those hard sayings there. Uh, where he says, except ye eat of the flesh, verse 53 of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and, and I will raise him up the last day. What he's saying there is not as the Catholics would interpret that as transubstantiation, that when you partake of that, it changes to his physical blood or, or those type things. What he's saying is, you partake of me. And how do you partake of Jesus Christ, both in a bread sense and in the living water sense? How do you do that? How, how do you lay hold of the bread of life and eat that bread of life and drink of the living water that leads to everlasting life? How? By belief, right? That's what this is all about. By belief, by trusting God. Believing in him as the son of God. But also, he's really talking about there, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's talking about communion. He's talking about communion. And what is the entrance? What's the first step and the entrance way for how you, you are qualified to participate in communion? Belief, right? Belief in Jesus Christ as the son of God. And when you uh, uh, profess that belief publicly, now... You are uh, part of the body of believers who, in a very special way, and in a special sense of belief, partake of Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper. I am that living bread. <clears throat> I want to read Matthew chapter 5 very quickly before we close. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Verse 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Right? So who hungers and thirsts after righteousness? Children of God do, right? Uh, those aren't uh, the 
desires of the world. And, and even if they partook of Jesus Christ, they would, it wouldn't satisfy them. It would just be uh, a, a savor of death unto death to them uh, because they don't have Christ dwelling in them. They have no love for Christ. So that's why belief and partaking of that has, has no, no sustaining, no sustenance for, for those of the world. So how do we partake? How do we partake of Jesus Christ as the bread of life? Well, it's simply by doing the work of God. By what? By belief. By believing Jesus Christ and partaking of Him as the bread of life. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.